0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. Sleep hot. Mattress Firm's sleep experts can match you with a cooling mattress from the Temper Breeze Collection from Tempur-Pedic so you can experience measurably cooler sleep all night. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day Sale. Sleep at night. My name is John Bell. I'm a band director at Germantown High School in Germantown, Wisconsin. John Bell has been making this show a big part of his work. He says he wanted something more for his students. Something to help bring the kids together more than making music. I'm listening to the podcast each week and thought, this best part of your week is a great idea. So I I borrowed it. John started playing our Best Things segment for his band classes, and he'd ask his students to share the best parts of their weeks as well. College acceptance letters, getting driver's license, good test scores, siblings coming home from college to visit. They get to know each other better than just coming to class each day and performing concerts together. It's a a more personal connection that they didn't have before. Public radio is more than just the news. It helps you celebrate the good stuff in life, too. And like John Bell said, it helps build stronger communities in high school band halls and across the world. Support this work. To get started with your donation to an NPR member station, visit donate.npr.org slash sam or just text the word sam to the number four nine six four eight we'll send you a text message with a link where you can find your local station and make your contribution message and data rates may apply you can visit npr.org slash sms terms for privacy and text message terms this lifelong band nerd thanks you hello hey
1: hi how are you Good. How are you? I didn't have the headphones on.
0: It's okay. My guest today is a lifelong Midwesterner.
1: I am in Iowa City right now talking to you.
0: Liz Linz is that guest. She's a journalist who lives and works in Iowa. And she's out with a new book that in large part tries to clear up a lot of misconceptions we all have about states like Iowa and the Midwest in general
1: it becomes a place where we just like project on it and write over it. And it never is allowed, I think, to be full and complete in and of itself.
0: But Liz's book is also about a lot more than the struggle to define the Midwest. It's about Liz's own personal struggles from the last few years.
1: Well, um, right after the election, I divorced my husband and left my church and wrote a book about it.
0: From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. You're listening to It's Been a Minute. In this episode, Liz Lenz and I get really personal. Liz's book is called Godland, a story of faith, loss, and renewal in Middle America. just came out this past summer. In the book, Liz clears up misconceptions about Middle America and faith, but she also tells the very interesting story of her marriage falling apart. At one point, Liz and her husband started a church together, and just a few years later... He was voting for Donald Trump, she was voting for Hillary Clinton, and they got divorced. In this interview, Liz and I talk about that, as well as how insular Christianity can be, how it can bring people together while at the same time shutting people out. It's a good one. All right. Enjoy. So this church that you all start, to kind of bridge the divide, to, to, to meld, Your more liberal theology with his more conservative, it fails.
1: Oh, so miserably it failed. Um, We had, it it was us and uh, three other families and we'd come together and there were just like a series of these crises. And um, the pastor as leaders of religious communities tend to be like had this very forceful personality and would, you know, barrel around and do things um that we hadn't agreed to or that I hadn't agreed to, um, you know, as I later found out and then I had two children while this was all happening and so kind of took myself Out of the space um, of decision making, you know, because I like I was just like crying on couches because I was so exhausted. Mm. And then um, when I kind of was trying to come back into, you know, the decision making, because there were things that I saw that I didn't like. Um, I was told, you don't belong here because the decision makers are men. And that was something that was very clearly and specifically told to me. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Like, I've yeah. been here since day one and I've always been loud. Yeah. Well, there's a <laughs> so- scene
0: in the book where you're describing basically the very fact that you asked questions in one of these churches led to a reprimand. Yes. Just you asking a question about something.
1: Yes. Well, and As a I- woman and the and the really sad part is is like that growing up in a very small conservative world, I'm used to that mm. I'm used to um you know asking a question and being told you don't have to know, you just have to have faith. Mm. And then having, you know, and these are authorities walking away from me. And I'm a person who asks a lot of questions. I do it Mm -hmm. now professionally, but I didn't come here by accident. This is what I do. And, you know, I always thought that that was a problem. And so it was only, like, as an adult where I realized, oh, I'm not the problem. The questions aren't the problem. The space is the problem, and it needs – And I don't have to be here. I don't have to be in a place where my body and my life are always the problem. I can leave.
0: It's a declaration that you can leave.
1: And it's okay to leave. It's okay to leave. It's okay to be divided. And we often talk about, like, leaving as the easy way out. And I think, you know, I— Sometimes
0: leaving is harder.
1: Leaving I think is harder. I have a chapter on um, people who are queer and feel alienated from churches. You know, they grew up in middle America and these are their churches and these are their places. And having tried so long to make it work, finally just leaving and hearing those stories, it, it's it's really hard to say that leaving was the easy mm. way out. Because when you leave, you're not just leaving a church building. It's your family. your family.
0: And you don't know what is out there.
1: You don't know what is out there. Because often all you've known is
0: that church.
1: Um, the I, I recently got the opportunity to talk with Megan Phelps Roper. Mm-hmm. Um, her book is Unfollow and she's the granddaughter of Fred Phelps, who founded Westboro Baptist Church and she articulates mm. this so perfectly like you're raised in this little small world and why Christianity works like this, you know where you're taught that like everybody on the outside is bad, only the people on the inside are good and that to have the courage to step outside of that, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know how your life is going to be and you don't know who will be there for you because, you know, these are all the people who've like made you food and, you know, been been your whole world.
0: Yeah. So one of the big themes in the book is that no one really gets Midwesterners, specifically Christian and evangelical Midwesterners. What do you think is the biggest misconception folks have about that group of people from the outside looking in?
1: Um, I think it's not that necessarily it's misconceptions because some of those conceptions are correct. You know, yeah. the deeply conservative, majority white. There like,
0: is a lot of corn out there. There and is, And there's
1: so much corn, <laughs> although soy is our number one export, uh, Sam.
0: Good to know. <laughs> um,
1: but just that it's a more complex yes. and nuanced picture that, you know, you can have uh, this like, uh, A a very big church in town uh, where the pastor is deeply, deeply conservative and, you know, really, really kind of walks the line of keeping his, you know, 501c3 and promotes a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, politics from the pulpit. And then you can talk to the people in the pulpit who can. don't agree with him at all, you know, are yeah. deeply committed to social justice issues. So there's a huge, I think, scratching the surface, you know, there's a huge pew pulpit divide. And that happens too in, in these, you know, like little Lutheran churches in the rural areas where you have, you know, these very like, um, and, and they hate these terms, liberal and conservative, right. but, you know, you, you have a very progressive female minister and she has to lead a congregation of deeply conservative farmers. So just that the tensions when you just scratch the surface are more are complicated. More com- are complicated. Yeah. The most interesting places that I found was this church um, on the border of Iowa and Minnesota in Bigelow, Minnesota. Where you know every Sunday the population of the town doubles because mm. this church fills up with five different church services that happen in four different languages.
0: This is a picture of a church that I think would astound most people's conception of, of what a place like Minnesota is.
1: yes and 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 I, and I think but even in that you know I I went there expecting this kind of perfect quote unquote melting pot mm. right
0: Yeah five languages. Karen, Lao, English, Vietnamese, and Spanish. Didn't even know Karen was a language.
1: And yet it's not all perfect. You know, talking to the pastor, you know, he has some like really regressive ideas about, you know, immigrants. And in a church full of
0: Asian Americans. Yeah. And he's
1: the one who opened up the doors. You know, he's he's the one who's like since he's been turned 60, he's been learning every single one of those languages. He's making this space open and accessible and yet he will preach a sermon about the evils of you know pagan idols you know yeah it's it's complicated well
0: and like this is what i love that you unpack In your writing around the book, before the book, and in the book, this idea of bubbles. There's no such thing as a bubble. There's Mm -hmm. no such thing as a liberal bubble or a conservative bubble. There are people with complications and different types of people everywhere you go. So to assume that a place like Iowa or Minnesota only has one type of person, that is actually wrong. In this language we have around a liberal bubble or a conservative bubble, that is not the way most communities work.
1: No, especially not most close communities Mm. here. And I think you asked earlier, like, misconceptions people have about faith in the Midwest. And I think another misconception people have is that it is, like, only like this white evangelical thing. Yeah. You know, I there are so many incredible movements happening in faith right now that are very progressive. Um I talk about the Mystic Soul Conference that happens in Chicago, you know, um which is this beautiful incredible space for people of color and queer people and um and, and designed around them. So there there's so much happening but because the dominant narrative is like why evangelicals, at it again, mm-hmm. hating on abortion, you know, you miss, you miss out that. on, yeah, the complexity and nuance on the page.
0: Time for a break. When we come back, Liz tells me more about the hardest part of writing her book, the time she spent at a training for Baptist ministers in rural Illinois. BRB.
1: Support for NPR and the following message come from Rothies. Rothys are the perfect gift for the woman in your life who is always on the go and loves a good balance of fashion and function. Rothys are carefully crafted shoes made from repurposed plastic water bottles. They're stylish, available in a wide array of colors and patterns, and fully machine washable. Best of all, they're comfortable and have zero break-in period. Plus, enjoy free shipping, free returns, and free exchanges. Check out their seasonal styles at rothys.com/minute. Billie Eilish, Lil Nas X, and Lizzo dominated the year in music, but there was a lot more from 2019 that you might have forgotten. I'm Robin Hilton. Join NPR Music all this month as we look back at the defining artists, trends, and milestones from the past year. Listen to new episodes each week on NPR's All Songs Considered.
0: What was the hardest chapter of the book to write? I mean, the whole thing has these vignettes of you exploring faith and its complications in middle America. Which part of that research and writing was hardest for you?
1: Um, the hardest part of the research was going and spending the week with the Baptist ministers in uh, rural Illinois.
0: What kind of Baptist ministers?
1: Uh, well, all sorts, but they, they hailed mostly from the Dallas Theological Seminary. Okay. There's this class that's taught for um, different seminaries, um, but the group I was with was mostly from Dallas. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a woman from Denver. It's to teach them how to be rural ministers because the majority of people graduating in, uh, from seminary and going to calls, as some groups call it, or just getting jobs as ministers— end up in rural areas they don't all end up in mega churches and you know Mm -hmm. in nashville yeah so what and so what happens is you you have these um you have these divides you know you get a pastor from dallas going out to be in a small town in nebraska he's gotta like fit in (laughs) yeah he's gotta fit in which is weird you know because it's like well one conservative white man goes to hang out with a different kind of conservative white man there are layers and multitudes there's Life is complicated. Yeah, yeah. So I was really excited to go and just like learn. And I would say it was the most fruitful. I was given so many books and resources for this class, which I read. I love homework. I'm a homework fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and But going there was a time of like personal crisis, just to put it all in context. Yeah. The day I came home from that week was the day I asked for my divorce. Wow. Um. So it was like, it was a huge uh, personal crisis week, which which coincided with this week where I was with ministers and things got tense. Why um, were
0: they tense? Uh,
1: you know, I was <laughs> I was at it again, Sam. I was asking questions.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> because again, I don't want to make it sound one thing like not like oh, everybody was so ignorant. It was deeply helpful and deeply resourced and very, very intelligent uh, and a smart look at, like, what does it mean to be in a rural space, in a rural economy? And we got out into the field and, like, talked to people and talked to farmers and dairy farmers and, um, and all this kind of stuff. But also there were a lot of, like, cultural things being said that I was pushing back on with my questions, saying, okay, how do you source that? You know, like, the one guy, I put this in the book, but he's like, he's like, some people just think of the Jeffersonian idea of American and other people think of the Hamilton idea of American and Jeffersonians rural and that's better. And the Hamilton idea of America is like urban and that's worse. And, wow. you know, just like that. And it's a moral judgment mm-hmm. on what means rural and what means urban. Mm-hmm. And so... I kept asking questions and one of the questions I kept asking was could you teach this class in reverse? You know, could you teach rural people then how to be a minister in in an urban um, area. In an urban area and that question caused so many problems more than I anticipated. Huh. I expected them to just be like, "Oh yeah, sure." They said matter?
0: no, you can't do that.
1: Um in the end one of the minister this is kind of funny because it happened after the book. So in the book, one of the ministers in the end finally concedes. Yeah, sure. Like you can. But the most misunderstood people in America are the rural people. And that's why we would never do this in reverse, you know, kind of a thing. But when I sent parts of the chapter for fact checking, Mm -hmm. that same guy tried to say he never said that. Wow. He was like, no, we would never do. And I was like, no, no, you, I have, I, it was recorded. Like I have a recording. Here's the transcript. You said it. So
0: I want to get back to a point you made a little earlier talking about those Dallas ministers learning how to talk to the rules. <laughs> um, you asked them if it could go both ways. Yes. If the same way that you have to teach folks to outreach to rule could be taught to rural folks to outreach to urban folk. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of this thing you've talked about before, how some of these phrases that feel good to us and sound good to us are actually one-way streets. This idea even of bridging the divide, which is used to imply that we should get over our differences. You say that it's really only one way. When when people say bridge the divide, they are asking usually people of color
1: or Mm -hmm. liberals
0: or Mm -hmm. women to try to explain themselves to conservatives are white men
1: well and to bend their perspectives you have to, to give up fit some. in those yes. spaces right like you have to give up who you are to fit into the norm and the quote-unquote norm is defined by white cisgendered male yeah. norms because well, like, like no
0: one says oh <laughs> if we're going to bridge the divide between trans people and people mm-hmm. who aren't trans you know the non-trans folks have to give up something or, 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 or meet halfway. It's always like, what is this marginalized group going to give up to assimilate? It,
1: exactly. And what do you, yes, exactly. What do you have to do? do yourself so that you can fit into this space not about how the space can learn to fit you mm. and i think that is and we're talking about that big broadly but that is mirrored very like in this like really intense way in america's churches that are resisting uh, uh, some of them um are resisting ha- changing their space to fit other people and and yet they you know they have this language of like openness but the reality of the space is that if you want to fit in you got to give something up and if you don't give something up well then get out what what
0: i what also was really interesting in your writing in this book and outside of the book was that in spite of you know some of these some of these conservative and evangelical churches in middle america are holding on to their traditions there's also a crisis of church in middle america you've written about how every day another church closes its doors and the loss of a church particularly in a rural area that can tear at the social fabric so as much as we can critique you know the problems of some of these churches they also provide certain kind of community services and when they go It might not always be good.
1: Well, not just community services, but like a narrative continuity. Mm. You know, usually um, when these small towns started, churches were one of the first places after a school that was built, Mm. you know, and it's not just about Jesus. You know, (laughs) it's it's about like it's a community center. Yeah, it's a community center. It's about deaths and births and life and celebration and sadness and grief. All of those places center around um, church in so many places. And when you lose that, what do you lose as a people? What do you lose as a person? Um, You know, I'm a person who still does go to church, so I'm not coming at this as like, burn it all down. Yeah. This is all the worst. I'm coming at this as a person who understands the value of community yeah. and specifically community that encourages you to grow and be a better person. Yeah. And we're talking about I, in 2016 we talked a lot about like the anger of the white man, the grief of the white man, the how middle America felt like it wasn't being heard. And, and I don't, I think they're being heard fine. But like the, but like what's at the root of the law loss in the nostalgia is a specific loss of place, a loss of schools, a loss of churches. And, you know, it's a loss that I've experienced myself and I know how like how hard it is. Um, there was, there, I, I, oh God, the worst part about me is how much I read Milan Kundera. And I know some people would say, no, there's many worse things about you to which I would <laughs> say fair, but this <laughs> is, but I think a lot about, um, the book of laughter and forgetting when he's talking about the cruelty of circles mm-hmm. and that the cruelest thing about a circle is that if somebody leaves it, the other people just close hands and like mm. keep going, keep going. And and so, like, there's the beauty of the circle is the unity, but the cruelty of the circle is that when somebody drops away, the circle They're just forgotten. closes up. Yeah. And I think that that's church, right? It's, there's beauty in community and voice and singing and having that connection to spirit. And I don't know where else we do that in America, but it's also really cruel when when you're forced out.
0: All right. One more break. Up next, seeing the divisions in our country today. Liz offers some suggestions on how all these competing factions of Americans right now can maybe talk past some of our divides over politics and region and class. More with author Liz Lenz after the break. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message come from Green from Amex. A little pep talk goes a long way. Whether it's over a big old plate of comfort food or a comfortable drive out of town with your besties, Green from Amex can help cheer you on with three times points on restaurants and travel, including car rentals. It's built around your lifestyle, so you can keep doing you with an extra boost of confidence. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Green Terms apply. Hey there, Anjali Sastry here. I produce It's Been a Minute. Thanks so much for listening to our show. If you love what you're hearing, just another reminder to support this work. Just visit donate.npr.org/sam or text the word sam to the number 49648. We'll send you a text message with a link you can find your local station and make your contribution. Message and data rates may apply. You can visit npr.org/sms terms for privacy and text message terms. So easy. Okay, back to the show. One of the big themes in the book, and you've already gotten at this, is that some of the divisions that exist in the country, that exist in faith communities, they're so big right now and so intractable. You can't say things like bridge the divide. You have to accept that we might not get past those differences just by being nice. And if that is the case, particularly going into an election year, what is the way forward seeing those divisions?
1: I think we all have to understand our complicity. I think we all need to have a moment of honesty where we sit and say, you know, we don't just like you know look at our Trump supporting relatives. And by we and me, I mean me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and say you did this you wrecked america i'm great because i voted for barack obama you know like ann hillary and so i'm better than you i think that that misses the point entirely it misses the way that we have gerrymandered the way that we have um done voter suppression it misses the way we've even divided our school districts
0: it misses the way that a lot of the folks in the in middle america who voted for trump also voted for obama (laughs) right like those voters are complicated too
1: yes and so to just say like you did this goodbye you know now we're gonna it it, it just it misses our own complicity in creating an america where this could happen and so what you know instead of just like the the hand holding and the coming together which is not possible like like maybe like more of a historical and understanding of like who we are as americans there's this narrative in america in my book i push back against that like oh there used to be a time when everybody went to church and that was so great well, that was the 1960s and that was specifically designed by dwight eisenhower mm. to like help us like up our economy to fight the communists and like it's not like pioneers were going to church often yeah. you know like it, it's this kind of like false idea so i guess perhaps more of an understanding of what divides us and an honest accounting of it there's more than just two sides <laughs> life is complicated yeah. there are many sides yeah. and i think this i think The solution is not an easy, you know, Band-Aid on the protruding bone of the broken leg of America. Mm. It's, you know, it's noticing where the break is, why it broke in the first place, Mm -hmm. and then treating it in the serious way that it needs to be treated. Yeah.
0: So one of the things I kept wondering, devouring your book, reading other things as you've written and thinking about the ideas in the book... Mm -hmm. You are someone who has spent many years now parsing and digging into the problems with faith in America right now. Mm -hmm. And yet, if I understand correctly, you never stopped believing.
1: I have always, and I think I probably will always, believe in something bigger than myself. Um, I don't always know what that is. Mm. Um, but I, I, and you know, it might be foolish, it might be wrong, it might be like something encoded in my DNA that I, you know, like from ancestors for survival, like, um, but I do think it's, part of the human experience to seek something bigger than yourself to yeah. believe in mystery and whether and and we all want to access that so whether you're doing it through science whether mm-hmm. you're doing it through journalism or yoga whatever yoga poetry yeah. music that we all seek something outside of ourselves and for me this space still makes sense I mean Sam three years from now I might be balls to the wall wicking. it's fine <laughs>
0: <laughs> A phrase I've who, never heard before is balls for the walls, Wiccan.
1: You know. <laughs> I, that's the only way to describe oh, yeah. Wiccans, I think.
0: Yeah, they are they are in it.
1: In it to win <laughs> it. Um <laughs> With the harvest moon. But yes. I but I, I yes, I, I still believe in something bigger than myself. And I kind of hope to always because I think that it keeps me from being a self centered jerk. Uh. Um, That's what I need personally. Yeah. Not everybody needs it. Not everybody yeah. needs it. Yeah. Um, but. I like it.
0: You know, for me, it's like I stopped going to church years ago for many reasons. Mm-hmm. But I, I also never stopped like, believing in God. Yeah. And people have asked me before, well, why not? Or, 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 or why still?
1: Yeah.
0: And it's like God means the most to me in moments when I feel really alone. Yes. Because the idea of God is that you're not actually ever really alone. Yes. And I can't imagine a reality in which those moments in which I feel most alone, no one's there with me. And so, just for that alone, this idea that you aren't alone, it's worth yeah.
1: it. There's that, um, not to quote scripture, but I'm oh, going to quote scripture. Oh, I love scripture. a good scripture quote. You know, there's that that verse. I can't remember the specifics, but it's like you know, the, the when you pray, like your heart cries out with you know groanings that like only the angels can understand. Um, and, and I think about that all the time. Mm. Like right when you said, you know, like in your loneliest moments, and we are people of words and that sometimes, you know, you lie there or sit there and you're like, I'm very lonely. And I think about that. and like, my heart is just crying out to something bigger than myself.
0: And there's this assumption that that bigger thing hears you.
1: Yes. And that's beautiful. And that's enough. <sighs> it's beautiful. And it's, it's enough, enough sometimes. It's, enough. it's like singing, right? It's yes. like, I'm going to sing the song in my car or wherever. And at and and that there's something hearing that, and that's what makes it beautiful, hmm. the act and the receiving of the act. Exactly.
0: I really enjoyed this conversation.
1: I loved it, Sam. Thank you so much. Yes,
0: yes. Liz Lenz. The book is called Godland, a story of faith, loss, and renewal in middle America. Thanks again to Liz Lenz. I really, really enjoyed that chat. Listeners, want to hear from you as well. Did you ever have a big New Year's resolution fail? If so, what did you learn from it? Uh, We want to hear your crazy, wacky, insane New Year's resolution stories. Record your story on your phone. Send that voice file to me via email at samsanders at npr.org. Samsanders at npr.org. No resolution is too crazy. Tell us all about it. You might hear yourself on the show in the new year. All right, listeners, that's a wrap for now. We're back on Friday with uh, news and stuff from the week. Till then, thanks for listening. Talk soon. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Ray about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Ray tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR. The game where cards control the conversation.